Well, it's my joy to introduce to you uh, Brother uh, Douglas Erdman. And uh, Douglas, is, uh, he and his wife Joyce uh, have been uh, attending our church, and we're just so happy to have them. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's the uh, National Director for Singapore for Navigators, and so he's been here roughly about five years, the same amount of time as I have, and it's just been a delight to have him. Just a few uh, odds and ends uh, information, first of all, is that uh, he's a pretty good tennis player, actually, and uh, so we've enjoyed some time playing on that, and uh, also, uh, he's um, got five children, that's a, that's a lot to take care of, and he'll be sharing that. Before he became a, a, a missionary with Navigators, uh, he actually was a trial lawyer in the United States. He was a trial lawyer, so he's quite an accomplished uh, uh, lawyer. And so we're just so thankful to have him. Now, besides being a child of God, uh, the most important thing is he and his wife are members of GBC. And so that's cool, isn't it? Yes, he and his wife saw the light, and here they are with us. And so we're so thankful that they're with us. So, Doug, please come and minister to us. Thank you. Well, it's great to be here with you all this morning. I wish my wife could be here. She's in the U.S., coming back in just a couple days. But uh, many of you, actually, I know and have met over the last few months. Some of you, though, obviously don't know my family. And so I wanted to just give you a quick little overview. There they all are. The uh, fellow on the left there is Calvin. He just graduated from seminary in the U.S. in counseling. He plans to be a counselor. He's married to my second daughter, Jessica. She just graduated from nursing school, and they plan to move to uh, South Carolina in the U.S. Uh, so she can be a nurse, and I said he could be a counselor. The next fellow is Justin. He's my firstborn son, and he works for a snack company in Maine, the state of Maine. My lovely wife, Joyce, I think a number of you know her now. My newest son-in-law is Luke, and he works for a high-tech company in the Washington, D.C. area. And he, in this picture, is getting married to Ashley, my firstborn daughter, And Ashley, as I tell people, is a stay-at-home mom, but she's not a mom. She hopes to be a mom this month. She's told me she plans to get pregnant this month. I I don't know if you can plan it like that. She has a few more days to go, but that's, that's her plan. Then there's me, our son Tucker. You may have uh, met him. He is in his, starting his last year at the Singapore American School up in the Woodlands. And then finally, my last daughter, Heather, she goes to Furman University in South Carolina. She's a junior there. Well, recently, I heard of a senior citizen driving his car on the PIE. His handphone rang. He picked it up. It was his wife. She said, dear, please be careful. I just heard a news report that a car is driving the wrong way on the PIE. And he said, dear, it's not just one, it's hundreds of them. And I want to tell you that there's just one way that God's program is heading. Just one way. All other ways are different than it. And what is that one way? It's the gospel started in Jerusalem, fanning out 
to the rest of the world, the spread of the gospel to the world. No matter what each of us are doing, we have an opportunity to get involved in that plan, to be a part of it. If you do that, your life will count. You'll get to the end of your life and you'll say, you know, my life mattered. If we get involved with bringing God's plan of bringing the gospel to the nations. Now, what do we call that plan? Well, we call it missions. And I want to talk to you today about three things. A motivation for missions, how we can be involved in missions, and obstacles to becoming a missionary. Those three, okay? So first, a motivation for missions. It's simply God's love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world. Not just Singaporeans, not just Americans, but everyone in the world. And God wants them all to be reconciled to him, to come into relationship with him. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Regardless of a person's background, he wants people to come to repentance and in a relationship with him. You know, we know the story from Luke 15 about the 99 and the 1. And God is happy about the 99, but he is also very concerned about the 1. I think it's a bit like us parents that have kids. And I have heard that with parents, that they are only as happy as their most unhappy child. Only as happy as their most unhappy child. And I could tell you uh, from our experience, that's true. I showed you my five kids there. The, the child out of those five that really struggles is actually Justin, the firstborn son. Justin did really well in school. Uh, up through, we called it eighth grade in the U.S., and then he, he came to secondary school or high school, and something happened. His grades began to plummet down, 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 till he was barely making it through school. We had him uh, uh, diagnosed, uh, and he has attention deficit disorder. He has a really hard time with short-term memory, we discovered. And this was really tough for Justin because for a while he was friends with the smart kids. Then all of a sudden... As his grades plummeted, he had to go to special classes, classes classes for the kids that were mentally challenged. And he lost all of his his friends. And uh, uh, during the course of this, he developed some uh, severe depression, actually. And he's 23 now, and so ever since about age 16, he's been depressed on medication. He also is not walking with the Lord. Uh, I think uh, maybe this uh, hurt his faith. I don't know. Um, so he's just had a hard time since high school. He came over to Singapore with us, went to an audio technology school here for a year, uh, went the entire year, but didn't, didn't finish it. Went back to the U.S., struggled there, came back to Singapore uh, for a number of months, uh, was still depressed. We sent him to a depression treatment center in Colorado, which he's now graduated from a few months ago. He seems to be doing a bit better now. But uh, he's just been a heartbreak for us, honestly, over the years. You know, we love the other four, and we, we praise God that they're doing well. But our heart goes out to Justin. More prayers have gone to Justin than the other four combined. 
And, and I think that's how God feels about the lost people of the world. He loves people that have found him, but his heart breaks for people that don't know him. So what has God done about this love, this overwhelming, all-compensing love? He has a plan. He has a plan. The plan started with Abraham, actually, the promise to Abraham. This is Genesis 12. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so somehow through Abraham, the plan is supposed to start. But then we learn later on, it develops. Abraham's offspring, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So the Jewish nation, somehow, was to bless people. And then finally, the plan becomes very specific with a person. Isaiah 49.6, it is too Light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The you is Jesus, the Messiah. And the plan is God's salvation, the gospel, going to the ends of the earth. You know, I uh, uh, played games over the years. One of my favorite is the game of Risk. I think some people in Singapore play that. Uh, And if you know it, it's kind of a military game. And the object is to uh, take armies and to conquer the world. And and I'll tell you, I play this game with many people. The most fun that I've had playing this game with is a group of military cadets. You can imagine how much these guys get into a game where you're taking over the world. I mean, they were standing up, cheering as you're doing this game. So, whoa. But... uh, it's an exciting game, taking over the world. And you know if you played Risk, the object is not to kind of pile up your, your armies in one particular country. You know, you could pile them all up in Asia, but you would lose the game if you did that. The goal is to, to take your armies and spread them all around the world. And that's a great illustration of the gospel. There's no country that can kind of pile up their armies or pile up the, the gospel message. It needs to be spread until it goes until the entire world. That's God's plan. In case we don't get the fact that he has this plan, God goes ahead and commands it. That's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Acts 1.8, he says it again, just before he's about to uh, be taken back to heaven. But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The remotest part of the earth. Hudson Taylor said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be be obeyed. Not an option to be considered. A command to be obeyed. You know, I've, uh, I've heard many descriptions about uh, people in Singapore. Uh, some have told me there's three types of people in Singapore. There's uh, citizens, there's PRs, and there's foreigners. And then other, other people have told me actually it's really only two. There's abengs and, uh, and people who are not abengs. I, I don't know if that's the case. I don't even know what that means, but they've told me that. But I do know that for Christians, there's only one type, only one type of Christian. Those are Great Commission people. Because the command is given to each of us, to each of us. We're all Great Commission people. So if that's true, if we're all Great Commission mission people, 
That asks the question then, how can we be involved in missions? How can each of us be involved in missions? Four ways I'm going to suggest. The first, to pray. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's a picture of Dawson Trotman. He was the founder of the Navigators, the group that I work for. And I love this little story about him. Let me share it with you. This is 1931. Three weeks after the Sierra Nevada trip, a prayer meeting began, which lasted some 40 days. And then Dawson's mind was the foundation stone for his later ministry. He asked Walt Stanton to join him at five every morning to claim the promise of Jeremiah 33.3. Riding out every morning to the El Canyon at the edge of the town, the two walked a quarter mile to the dead end of a dry wash with sloping sides. This was their chosen prayer spot under a big prepper tree. There they built a fire as protection from the foggy chill sweeping them from the Pacific and knelt for two hours to pray before they went on to work. Dawson's knees soon tired, but Walt, a plumber used to working on his knees, did not notice. They prayed for the boys in their clubs in Lomita and other towns, and soon they were praying for young men in more distant towns throughout Southern California. As their faith increased, they began to ask God to use them in the lives of young men across the U.S., naming each of the 48 states before the Lord. Then, towards the end of the time, they took a map of the world to their prayer hideaway and touching Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and the Pacific Islands, they asked God to use them to reach men for him there. You know, the navigators now have 4, 000, over 4,000 staff in 106 countries around the world. And I think it's because these two men prayed. They asked God, and he's answered. If we want to see the gospel taken to the nations, not only our nation here in Singapore, but to the world, we have to pray. A second way to get involved in missions is to give. Philippians 4, 15 to 16. As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So this is Paul thanking people for giving to his ministry. Here's a, a nice older couple. Their name is John and Mary McDole, and they are uh, missionaries with New Tribes Mission to Indonesia. I shared at the missions conference that I was influenced uh, about missions by attending New Tribes Mission conferences, missionary conferences. And when I was a college student, my father brought me to my first conference, and I met this couple. Now, they were much younger then, very nice couple going to Indonesia. And my father said, you know, one way you can help them is to, to actually support them financially. And I, I didn't realize that, but okay. And so I began to uh, give a little bit, amount a month each, uh, each month to their ministry. And I just kept on doing it. And I've, I've supported them financially for every month for over 35 years. And actually what's really neat is just a few years ago, they began supporting me. So little did I know. 
And uh, actually, Mary has passed away, just passed away about a year ago from ALS. So John uh, is just now uh, a missionary with New Tribes. But it's just so neat that I could participate in their ministry for that long a time just by giving and the things that they've done in Indonesia. A third way to participate in missions is to reach and send. Reach and send. Now, I could ask you if there are non-Christians in Singapore, and you would say yes. Are there people here that don't know God and will perish when they die? Yes. Should we be reaching them? Yes. And we talked uh, this weekend about how Jesus actually launched his mission strategy by evangelizing people, establishing people, and equipping them. He had a tremendous ministry, as we know, in the uh, Israel area, uh, doing just that. And we at GBC, I believe, desperately need to be doing that personally, each of us. But, you know, if we're all doing that and having a wonderful ministry here, will that be enough? No, that won't be enough. Jesus was never satisfied with a fruitful ministry in one locality. He wasn't satisfied with that. We learn that from Mark 1, where we see his ministry in Capernaum. And if you uh, take a look there, you'll see that he was in this city and having a great teaching ministry. People were really responding. Uh, he did a dramatic miracle, casting out a demon. And uh, at the end of that one particular day, it said the whole town was so excited, they brought all their sick and demon-possessed for him to heal. But then it's interesting, the next day, we find him, he's, uh, he's out uh, outside the town having a quiet time, I think, spending time with the Lord. And his, his disciples come and find him and they say, everyone's looking for you. The whole town's looking for you. And you know what he says? He says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. It's not just one locality. And as we know from Isaiah 49, 6, it's not just uh, the nearby villages. It's the world. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. How did Jesus get his salvation to the ends of the earth? He raised up some apostles. He trained them, and then he sent them out. And that's what we should be doing as well. We must disciple Equip here, and then we must send. Disciple and send. Reach and send. And if we're sending people, that implies the fourth way to be involved in missions. And that is some of us get to go. Some of us actually get to go. You know, I have a a good friend here. He's a director of one of the local missions agencies. He's a great guy. And I'm excited about what he's doing. He actually takes teachers and sends them to Indonesia to indigent uh, small villages. And what they do, they don't really, they're not going as missionaries per se. They're going to teach these villagers how to teach their own children. So they've never had, you know, education training. They, they, they don't know how to do it. So, so these people go in and they teach them to be teachers. And the people love it, you know, to be able to educate their own kids. And what that does is eventually opens up relationships with these teachers 
and uh, allows the gospel to be shared. And as he's describing this to me, I'm excited about, and he says, uh, oh, and also, you know, uh, we, we actually, we never, we don't sing Singaporeans to do this. We, we get people from other countries, uh, not Singaporeans, because Singaporeans, they're good organizers, but people from other countries are cheaper. They're cheaper. And I thought, yeah, that may be true. But, you know, I thought what he's doing is he's delegating the Great Commission. He's delegating to other people. Now, sure, those other people should be involved. But no country has the right to delegate the Great Commission. I wonder if Singaporeans are going like they used to. We all know uh, when Billy Graham came to uh, Singapore in the 80s, he described Singapore as the Antioch of Asia. And it is uh, sending people all over the world. But I wonder if our ardor in Singapore has decreased a bit for missions. As As the prosperity of the country has grown, I wonder if less missionaries are going out. I know that's actually true in my organization, the Navigators. I've been told since the Navigators have been here, they've been here about 50 years, that over 50 full-time missionaries have gone out uh, from Navigator Ministries uh, to parts of the world. And then to China alone, about 60 tent makers have gone out. And that's great. But, you know, recently, not many have gone out. Not many have gone out. Now, we're working on that. What do you do to generate missionaries? What do you do to help people go? There's a few specific things. I think missions trips really help, short-term missions trips. And so wonderful that this group is going to Kuming. When I was a a, a young graduate, I went to Korea for a couple years as a short-term ministry with the Navigators. I went to Colombia, South America with New Tribes Mission for a month. All of those planted in me a heart for missions. Another thing to do is to read missionary biographies, just stories about missionaries. I read a number as a young man. The most influential book to me, the only book besides the Bible I've read twice, is The Shadow of the Almighty by Jim, or actually Elizabeth Elliot, telling the story of Jim Elliot. He was a young man that was a missionary to South America, Ecuador, and he and his four colleagues uh, trying to contact this uh, tribal group uh, were killed by them, martyred. It's a great book. I recommend it to you. But that planted in me a heart for missions. And missionary conferences are important. So just what we've had this past weekend is wonderful. Our church, I grew up in a, uh, it was called the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. So heavy emphasis on missions and had conferences. I went to these new tribe mission conferences as well. All of these were influential to me to make me a missionary. Remember, though, that doing all these things won't actually get a missionary on the field. I talked recently with a fellow in our uh, ministry, a man named Kaiwa. He's been a a missionary to uh, China 37, 38 years, something like that. He's a great uh, missionary. And I said, Kaiwa, what do we we need to do to get more of our young ones over to China? And he, he leaned over at me, looked me in the eye and said, tell them, just go. Just go. And that's what it comes down to. Ultimately, some of us need to just go. Well, if you're thinking maybe you're one of those people that uh, God may be asking you to go, 
I would suggest that you're going to face some obstacles. Some obstacles. Let's talk just briefly about obstacles to becoming a missionary. The first obstacle is often one's family. Surprisingly enough, one's family, even their Christian family. There's a noted Christian author, Oswald Chambers. He's written a devotional. Many of you maybe even have read it. My Utmost for His Highest. It's a great book. There's a chapter in there called What My Obedience to God Costs Other People. What My Obedience to God Costs Other People. And this is what he writes. If we obey God, it is going to cost other people more than it costs us. Will we remain faithful in our obedience to God? Or will we do just the opposite and say, I will not cause other people to suffer? I will not cause other people to suffer. Coming to Singapore was a bit of a challenge for us. For one, my parents are older. In their, uh, My mother's in her late 70s. My father in his early 80s. And he has uh, an Alzheimer's, Parkinson's-type disease now. He's just cognate just a little bit. And uh, we knew that coming to Singapore meant that we would only see him and my mother once a year. And that's, that's uh, what it's turned out to be. So as, as his uh, capacity decreases, we haven't been there to really help. That's been costly uh, to them. I clearly remember on our flight the first time we arrived coming to Singapore with the family, it was me, Joyce, and the, the three young ones, our oldest daughter, Ashley, the one that you saw that, that was getting married. And uh, we met her in the Washington, D.C. airport. It was just how the legs of the flight worked. And, and she was sobbing actually, um, knowing that we were going and leaving her, just a single girl at that point. Uh, it was really tough, really tough on my wife, you know, to have her daughter uh, clutching her, sobbing in the airport. And it cost Ashley uh, for us to go. One thing, uh, though, that uh, Chambers goes on to say, I think this is significant, if we obey God, he will care for those who have suffered the consequences of our obedience. We must simply obey and leave all the consequences with him. And you know what's neat, actually, with Ashley? Not too long after we moved to Singapore, she met that nice man that you saw, Luke. And Ash, our, uh, Joyce and I, you know, as we've gotten to know Luke, we've decided this is the perfect man for Ashley. He's just exactly what she needed. And so he provided for her. He took care of the consequences of our obedience to him, and God will do that for us with our families. Well, another obstacle to becoming a missionary, possessions and comfort, possessions and comfort. You know, life in Singapore is pretty good. You know, I tell people I'm a missionary to Singapore, and they they chuckle and say, a missionary to Singapore? Wow, you you really upscaled, you know, going over there. Uh, and it's true, you know, we all, we have beautiful uh, apartments here. It's safe here. When we came to Singapore, I kept on looking for the policemen. Where are they all? You know, I, I'm looking there. Every once in a while I see one, but boy, I used to see a lot more in the U.S. Uh, it's just safe here. It's clean here, as we know. We had a conference uh, last week, an American speaker came over. This is a navigator conference, and uh, he was taking pictures with his handful all over, a lot of pictures. He said, you know, the one picture I want to get is a picture of a little piece of garbage because I can't find any. Wouldn't it be something to have a, p- a picture of a piece of garbage in Singapore? It would be so you know, unique. 
Because it's so clean here. And it's true. It's a, it's a, a marvelous country. People talk about the four C's and the five C's. I've decided that we have the three M's. Malls, maids, and if we can't afford a COE, the MRT. The three M's. It's a great country. But you know, God calls us instead to have what I call a tent living spirit. A tent living spirit. This is Hebrews 11, 8 and 9, talking about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He lived in tents. Now, I don't think that means we all need to you know, go out... Uh, uh, in the void deck or something, and you know, start pitching tents necessarily. But it's a tent living spirit. We were just back in the U.S. as I mentioned. Joyce still uh, is there for a few more days, and what we were doing, I was speaking at a couple churches and visiting our supporters, and that meant we don't have a home in the U.S. now. So we were moving from this family's house for three days to my relatives for a couple days over to this family's house, and. Uh, I mentioned to Joyce, you know, this is like Abraham here. Uh, we we have a tent. We're living in tents. And, uh, you know, I don't know if she appreciated that. But uh, but it's true. Uh, we all need to have a tent living spirit. C.T. Studd, famous missionary to China, India, and Africa, said, If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. No sacrifice. Well, finally, uh, a third obstacle to becoming a missionary is the opinions of others. The opinions of others. So what will people think if I take my family, my wife and my kids, and move overseas? What will people think? What will people think if you're in your 20s and you're qualified to go to grad school and you don't go because you're going to be a missionary? What if you're in your 30s, perhaps, and have a successful career? And you give that up to be a missionary. What will people think? Well, in my teens and 20s, I was worried about what people thought about me. In my 30s and 40s, I decided I was not going to worry about what people thought about me. When I turned 50, I realized people weren't thinking about me. (laughs) It's true. People aren't thinking about as much as we think we are. Well, in conclusion, there's one direction that God's plan is heading. Just one direction, getting the gospel from Jerusalem out into all the corners of the world. We can be involved in that by praying, by giving, by reaching and sending right here in Singapore, and by going, those four ways. If we will do that, we will know that our life has counted. We will get to heaven, and I'm convinced there will be people that will be come up to us, shake our hands, and say, you know, thank you for being obedient to the Great Commission, because I'm here today with eternal life because you were obedient. And Jesus will certainly say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, how do we stand? Where do we stand right now in this great plan of Jesus's? These are some of the percentages in the world 
different countries of those who are Christians. So in China, the uh, best I can tell, it's 5 to 10% of mainland Chinese are Christians. Uh, some would say, a, say even 11%, the most generous estimate. If that's true, even 11% are Christians. That means that over a billion Chinese don't know Jesus, don't have a hope of eternal life. A billion people. India, 2.4%. Another over billion people that don't know Jesus. Iraq, 3% are Christians. Japan, 2%. Bangladesh, 0.3%. Iran, 0.15% are Christians. I've uh, heard this story. I I think it's helpful that uh, suppose you're walking in a forest and uh, you're walking along and you saw something strange. There were these ten men carrying this heavy log, ten men kind of marching along with this log. And what was strange is that at one end of the log, there were nine men holding up that end. And at the other end, there was just one guy struggling to hold up his end. And people say that that's actually representative of the Christian outreach today in the world, that 90% of the full-time Christian workers are targeting just 10% of the world's population. And then 10% are targeting the rest of the 90%. Nine to one. And you ask the question, which side are you going to go help? Which side are we going to help? Oswald Smith famous Canadian pastor and author said, we talk of the first coming. We talk, excuse me, we talk of the second coming. Half the world has never heard of the first. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are grateful that you have called us and given your grace and love to each one of us. And we rest in that and we will spend eternity with you. But, Lord, we do think of your love that extends beyond us uh, to others and your plan that your good news is supposed to go to all the world, to each of them. And I ask that you would lead each of us to know what's, what's the way we can be involved in this mission. What's our part, Lord? Help us to get to the end of our life and say, you know, my life mattered. I made a difference for people in the world. Lord, give us the courage to take the steps we need to do. In Jesus' name.